Want more from your podcast app? Graduate to Pocket Casts, your free one-stop shop for podcast listening, search, and discovery. The beautifully designed app gives you more control and makes it easier to discover and organize podcasts with powerful tools to customize listening. Hear all your favorite shows at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores. Welcome to Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's me, Matthew Side. This week, we're going to give our blueprints on the future. Robbie's doing you football. Fred's doing cricket. I'm looking at business. We're also going to be talking about bad sporting decisions. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch with future topics. But before we get going into the meaty topics this week, let's find out what we've been up to. Well, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at you. You said you were going to come in your good gear this week. So just explain to us what you got on. You, built, you did build it up last yeah. week. He said last week on the podcast. <laughs> so what did he come in last week? He come in that t-shirt he always wears. That with a that penguin penguin t-shirt. Yeah. With his arms like like little um, straws sticking out of it. <laughs> what have you come in this week? So I've got my, my skinny jeans. Are they skinny? Yeah. Well, supposed to be skinny. You said that they were baggy. Uh, the Chelsea boots. And then this sort of striped blue and white uh, shirt with the nice cuffs. But I saw you across the uh, courtyard outside. Fred gave me the thumbs up. You said that the jeans were too long. They need to take oh, it I, up. I, oh, oh, I give you the thumbs up as a to way of welcoming you. It wasn't like, it wasn't like look at this guy here. <laughs> Walking across the courtyard at Media City. <laughs> yeah. so what's, what's the verdict? Is, been, is it, it thumbs down on the clothing? I mean, I, I take you as a bit of a fashion. I like, Robbie, I honestly like what you wear. I oh, mean, yeah. other than the stuff you wear to the gym, which is slightly tight and revealing, what you're wearing today is really good. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. I like to dress smart. <laughs> Do you, Fred? I just dress functionally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got a tracksuit and top on today. It's very early at Media City. Crawled out of bed, but you know what? I, I do feel the pressure of dressing well, being a fashion designer myself. I feel that you're being constantly yep. watched. We went to uh, races, me and Rob, on Saturday. It's at her races for the uh-huh. Scottish Gold Cup and didn't see an horse. What? It's yeah. rained off for three days. Oh, First no. time in 200 yeah. years. We go up there, we flew on the smallest, not a private one, but the smallest plane you've ever got on. Robbie tried to have a conversation with the earth stewardess who just binned him. <laughs> she, she tried to talk to an earth stewardess about the old firm derby. Hey. All she wanted to do was give a few glacier mints out and a cup of tea. She didn't <laughs> want a conversation about football with a, Robbie. The plane was that small. Um, the air stewardess spoke... So can you fasten your seatbelt? She spoke. There was no tannoy. Uh-huh. So it was a small plane. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it? And Fred was in the front seat against the board. So you know where you have the you don't have a tray table. Yeah. So in the front seat, one A. It was only a small plane. It wasn't it wasn't a private jet or anything like that. It was just a normal plane. Yeah. But did they have the propellers? Yeah, yeah. But He's six foot six. And he what, was the gigantic. gigantism it's, came it's into play. That's what he said, giganticism again. That's what he kept saying. His head was such in the roof. His knees were on the thing. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. Seeing as though Robbie was sat next to me with the leg room seat. Yeah. I, I offered what? to move. I offered yeah. to move. He didn't want to move. I did. He didn't. He I sat did. there, spread out. I'm sat there all crunched up in the corner. He's got his legs nearly in the cockpit. So what did you do at the court? So there's no racing. You sat in the hospitality tent or whatever. I was working and... for a company and it was their big awards due of uh-huh. the year. Right. Hosted by 
a poor man's Anton deck for <laughs> Top and Savage. <laughs> and A.P. McCoy was A.P. McCoy. Well. But he, he should have seen him because it said he had a script and it was all autocued. And then it said in the thing, 10 minutes ad lib. Oh, no, please. So he was, no, he didn't he was read trying out, all no. His, no, but he was trying all his lines out beforehand to people. Some absolute stinkers. I was panicking. I don't like speaking. I've to never people. seen you as nervous in my life. Yeah. Well, I've never seen him. Really, you yeah. found? I, I find that difficult. I, to believe I was you find that I was panicking. I was, I was palms are sweating. I was thinking, oh wow, well, it's like an Eminem song. This knees weak, <laughs> arms are sweating. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mum spaghetti. But we did a question and answers after. It was quite, you know, some great stories. Some, a lot we've told on the podcast, but. You know, we've gone into commentary, and I use the, the. I'm not sure I've taught the podcast when, you know, when you've come off a off a off a game or something, yeah. and you get hammered. Um, and the best <laughs> one I've ever had on me was when somebody said, "If I was trapped on a desert island with Robbie Savage and a pack of hobnobs, <laughs> I'd eat Robbie Savage and talk to the hobnobs." <laughs> <laughs> that was after the commentary, which I thought was quite funny. So that that got a good laugh. And you've got something coming up later this week, haven't you, Fred? I'm busy at the minute, actually. Yeah. It all starts now, so Christmas. Um, I'm doing this musical, which I start rehearsals next wow. week. But then this past week, I've been doing rehearsals. I'm doing a show for ITV called All Star Musicals, where seven seven celebrities of types are all doing a musical number at the Palladium on stage. And I'm hosting it, but I'm opening up with a number. Yep. So I've been rehearsing this number and going through it all. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. It's not like the others. It's not like... But can you give us a line? No, no, I can't. Not loud. No, I'll rub it. I'll ruin the, I'll ruin the surprise. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite catchy. I'll ruin the surprise for the three viewers. It's quite, it's quite catchy. Oh, two more than Cannonball. Then, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Rob. Um, <laughs> do you, do you but get... it's with Michael Crawford. What? Uh, so, I've been Frank with Michael. Spencer? Yeah, well, I don't call him that, <laughs> <laughs> but I've been with him for the past week or so. And we've been going through it, and I host it, and he's like the critique and mentor. But I've been doing this number, and I don't usually get nervous like Rob described because you know I'm not that bothered. And but doing it in front of Michael Crawford, the yeah, man yeah. who was the Phantom, he's yeah. a legend of yeah. musical theatre and just a legend in every way. And then you perform, and he's coming back and he's critiquing you and telling you what you should be doing. And I'm trying to say, I, you know, I hate practicing, Michael. I'll be all right <laughs> on the night. I hate practicing, but we've all must have amazing a Frank, man. We, we all must have a Frank Spencer impersonation. Of... I'm not doing one. I'm not Betty, doing one. Betty. <laughs> <laughs> That's just you, that. Where's the impression? Have you got a Matthew? Give us a Betty. Ooh, Betty. Why was you waggling your shoulders? <laughs> I hope we got that on what the camera. That? That Should we get that? into the show here before Matthew does something else? What have you been doing? I think so I've yeah. got a big thing coming up as well. I'm giving a speech to the SAS tomorrow and the special boat service and one of the other special services. So I'm getting picked up uh, by helicopter from Battersea. Do you, do you, think, do you think this is real or do you, <laughs> do, you, do you think it's just like a, a ruse to try and sign you? Well, you're doing well. You've got the disguise. You've got the four snores and the glass. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm quite looking forward to that. You know, talking a bit about sight. But you said you've actually I've been given to, uh, a speech to yeah, the SAS. I didn't. I didn't know I was doing it. A couple of mates of mine were down there, and I went down for the day, and they took me in the room where you can fire all the guns and things, which was which was all right. I'm not a big fan of guns; they frighten me. And then they put me in a dog suit. 
and like a dog suit and then set three Alsatians on me. I had to run across the field. I had two Alsatian dogs hanging on my arms trying to get them off. It's bizarre. It was the most bizarre thing ever. Surreal. So you're talking to the SAS tomorrow? Yeah, talking to the SAS. Are you going to talk oh. to them about the dangers yeah. of ping pong? <laughs> Are you going to talk to them? What, I, don't, I hope I don't get put in any of these blinking things. They said it's just me going, delivering a speech no, and then just... getting flown back to back. I don't want to see any of the dog stuff and the, the That's shooting not going to They're going to stuff you. Oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. Know. Speaking to the SES. Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, so I'm going to come about? on to that later oh, on in the yeah, podcast. I like that, I like we, that. Right. First topic. Robbie, you're kicking off on this one. You have blue skied, to use some management speak, the future of grassroots oh. football. Oh. And I know you've been taking a lot oh. of notes and you've been yeah, taking it seriously because yeah. this has been on WhatsApp. How do you see the future of English football? How would well, not you English, learn... just it's just it's just world grass, football. Just world grassroots football. football. If I was in charge of grassroots football um, in Britain, what would I do? What would I keep the same? What would I change? So if I come up with the points, you two can critique me, and you can say yes, that would work or no. Can you, Rob? Yeah, Believe me. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have been very busy. Well, yes. I've, I've been professional. You're sending pictures of pages yeah. and pages yeah. of writing. Yeah, look. You know, you got to do your research, Matthew. Great. Preparing to fail is failing to prepare. I'll do this the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, I'm with you. What is it? What is it? Uh, um, fail to prepare. Preparing to prepare fail. Prepare to fail. There yeah. you go. So anyway, right. So obviously so many things you have to consider when running a, a, a um, youth football How side. How did the team get on on Sunday? Um, we lost 5-1. Oh, can, can we have the coach of the other team doing this, please? <laughs> <laughs> so you're giving your you're giving your manifesto exactly. on the back of a five-one defeat. Yeah, right, and that's it. That's oh, no, it. Yeah, up in the morning. <laughs> right. So Savage out. <laughs> I got that on Twitter last night. So obviously, right, Matthew and Fred, the FA must be encouraged to provide more 4G pitches throughout the country in conjunction with either council you can't just or read schools. out your notes. I am, I am. <laughs> this is point one. This, all, like you're not reading. <laughs> yeah. this is like the autocue yeah, on the awards of the day. I've wrote them down. I've Turned them down. into a robot. Anyway, the grass pitches must be cut at least once a week because I go to some games and the grass is so high for the kids, they can't kick the ball. The ball stops, there's grass on the pitch. So the first thing I'd do if I was in charge, more 4G pitches around the country and make sure that the council cut the pitches to a length where it's acceptable to play. OK, if yep. it rains, if it's muddy, you can't you can't stop I, that. I, I agree with you. But the pitches are so long, Fred, when they're running round... Yep. And they're so small, the kids, the balls, the balls heavy. They can't. How much is a 4G pitch? Don't know, don't know, but I'm sure. And I suppose there'd be a cost associated with having to cut the grass. But let's just say that that you've got a bit of a budget. That's something you would allocate the budget to ensuring happens. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So is that a good start? Point one, we're in. Is that a good start? Right. The next thing I would do, right, is I would make every child in my team play at least two or three different positions mm-hmm. I think you get pigeonholed as a youngster if you're big if you're strong if you're quick if you're skillful there you go you play centre forward but you know I want people to learn how to play with a ball so if you turn up to a game just say, just say it's your boy you know he's a big lad right he's quick he's strong you're a centre forward well maybe not you play centre forward you play right back play midfield, learn to play with the ball, learn different positions. How many positions did you learn grow, growing up, coming through None. the game? <laughs> <laughs േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ േ
I learned two or three, yeah. I learned two or three. Because you started up front, didn't you? I started up front, yeah, then midfield. But I was the one who was the kid at school. Who, the best player usually plays centre-forward. But do, does up. your position find you, or do you find your great, position? That's, that's a great question. Mm. Great question. I think, in the end, inevitably, my position found me. Yeah. Yeah, because midfield, I could run all day. You know, as I said, when you're in school, the kids, hand up, who wants to play centre-forward? Who wants to get the limelight? Who wants to score the goals? And that's what you find. But I think now the game's changed. Right back, left back, you know, the way modern football's... People want to be right back and left back now. People want to be number six, getting the ball, yeah. getting off the back four. Two things on that yeah. before you move on. Yeah. When when my lad played in that football team that you played in, yeah. it, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience listening to people talk about football, especially parents. Uh-huh. And I'm not really into it anyway, so I'm starting... I want to be convinced. I want my mind turning. I, th- I want to enjoy it, but I didn't. And when you talk about players playing in all different positions, mm. the rooking on the sideline from the parents because their kid is a left back and he was playing on the right wing or because their son's a centre forward and he's playing centre half. Yeah. They were going on and on and on about it. So how do you, how'd you deal glad, with that? I'm glad you've done that. I'm glad you said that. I would introduce, this might be a bit controversial, a yellow and red card for parents. So, if I'm the referee, or or I've got somebody from, you know, the, um, an important figure at the game, you know, like a welfare officer or or, or a safeguarding mm-hmm. officer, on the sideline, try as many as you can, get as many of these officers as you can to go to attend games, and basically because the refs, the refs usually young, so for yeah. a ref to go up to a pair and give a, a mm-hmm. pair a yellow mm-hmm. card is a bit intimidating, and we don't because you know, the emotions are so high. What I would do, I'd get if so encouraging. The kids, yes. Yeah, no problem with that. But as soon as a parent says something controversial or has a go at somebody, yellow card. Yeah. If he does it again, red card, he he has to leave the field with his son. Wow. The but- son has to get taken off as well. So the parent, you get a red card, your son has to leave the pitch. Give right. us a set. Give us a sense not- of how of how intense it gets on the sideline. Freddie says it's a Sunday morning kids football. Why would you need to have a welfare officer? But you're coaching now yeah. the youth team. Do the parents get angry? Do they get emotional? Yeah. Do they vilify the referee and the kid? Give us a sense of what it's like. So going on the other side now as a coach, as a parent, I've stood there with Fred and, and listened and watched and you know just. I've agreed with some um, some of the things the coach has done, but I've kept it mm-hmm. to myself. But being on the other side, the pressure of being an under twelves manager. So, for instance, if you take, it is. You just said the pressure of being an under twelve manager. Honestly, oh. Seriously. Arson fingers never had it as easy. <laughs> Try an under 12 game. Try under 12s, it's so tricky. Never mind them 40,000 people shouting finger out. But hell. Mate, seriously. Bob so, from Stretford, so you... Charlie's dad, he's a shocker. Him. <laughs> Come on, get a so grip. Listen, so, as a coach, right? As a coach, I've managed three games now, right? I'm on the other side of the fence. So, I'm. There's so many things you take into consideration. So, you make the substitutions, and then when the kids are being brought off for a minute, they're all sitting there and they're looking at you. When am I going back on? You've just come off, so you, you, you I mean, you, you just come off. Then you got the parents. To be fair, the the team I uh, manage, the parents mm. are exceptional. 
you have to deal with the parents. Yep. And there was okay, a, a, a situation yesterday where, you know, there's a bit of a confrontation What's it called? between me, um, <laughs> my core manager and another parent, um, you know, but it was it was fine. We'll discuss after the game. Can I ask you, how do you think that affects the players, the young people, if they know that the parents are kicking off, they're shouting out? How does it affect their enjoyment of football? Does it make them fearful on the pitch? They don't want to express themselves. How is that affecting their development well, as I've human seen, beings and as football? I've seen parents in youth football, Matthew, um, giving hand gestures, in not, not rude ones, but like... Um, um, how can I do this? We're on radio, so people will be able to see them, will they? So, Show us a gesture. So basically, doing that. To, yeah. So now let's rev oh, it up like. a bit. Rev it up. Rev it up. Get, um, oh, that. Uh, <laughs> that. What is that one? <laughs> no, that is like. It's an like you as a clue. This. Eye of Two a needle. Pass it through the eye of a needle. Pass it. Yeah. So the coaching from the side. Coaching line. with with the like Lionel Blur on. Give us a clue. <laughs> yeah, with exactly. Like Three words. Move it. But but these kids will look up or look at their fathers. Yep. In like, wow, and so the other parents look at these guys who are coaching the side with their hands because they don't shout, and it's bizarre. Do you know, sorry, Rob, it's do you bizarre. know the strange thing about watching football? And this is this is out of character for me, but I've been at a couple of games when my lad was playing, and I'm not an aggressive person, I'm not looking for confrontation, I'm not looking for a problem, but I've seen other fathers and I've seen people from other teams just shouting and screaming, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, if this goes off, I'm going to belt him because... The way they speak to women, the way they speak to other people, yep. I'm thinking you, you have to get involved. You can't just sit back and watch this. And it's not from a point of view where you think, you know what, I'm trying to get myself a fight here. Or I'm, I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. But you just disagree with what people are doing. But getting back to a couple of your points, right? The Simbins, like that or not? Well, firstly, yeah. you, know, you talk about the welfare. Not the, sim, the, the yellow and red card. Yep. You talk about the welfare. I understand a lot of referees, they range from 14 upwards, don't they? Yeah. So you imagine you're a ref and some parent shouting on the sideline. It takes a lot of balls to go and give one of these fellows a card. That's why I said about the welfare. Yeah, but the problem with a welfare officer is how many games are being played up and down the country yeah. every morning? Yeah. And every game's got to have a welfare it's officer. A, it's a very, but listen, uh, no, I, I agree yeah, with you. It's a very but good what, point. What's crying out to me at the moment is take all this. There are a lot of fundamental problems with kids' football. Yeah. When you're even talking about putting well, yeah. parents, you've got to you. stand behind a barrier. Yeah. You're talking about carding parents. I'm agreeing. I'm with you. It might come to the point where they play it behind closed doors. You can't have anybody watching. But there's so much money in football, and to put a welfare officer or a safeguarding officer in every game in youth football... What's that going to cost? There's thousands of games. But, well, but that, how much money? We're talking players getting sold for a hundred million pounds. Yeah, but does it? it but this is like, the future. But like all these things, it never seems to filter down. It's no. like the the top clubs and they get greedier and they get wealthy. So what do you think of the point then? So uh, the other thing, case, on, on your oh, substitutes, yeah, you're yeah. talking about substitutes. You're talking about. Fellas getting the right amount of time yeah. and playing because what is it? Every kid's so got to play. Basically, I minutes. would say I would. That's another rule. To a point, and I'll come on to that. So, when you make substitutions, I've got a squad of 13. Why have you got subs? Why are, why in a kid's team have you got substitutes? There's enough teams up and down the country. You find your level. Why have you got subs? It's not as if they're going to get tired or there's this massive injury crisis. Sure, that just... Or, or have one yeah. sub yeah. and then you have a rolling team. Some, some, so, everyone, yeah. every five minutes... Yeah. Ref says, "Yep," and you just keep rolling it round. I don't understand this substitute because thing kids. I, I, I'm, I'm with you to a point. I really am, Fred. And the, the substitutions cause lots of problems. 
um, when you've got a bigger squad, 13. Yep. Ideally, I would like 10 players in a nine side, and exactly that point, that's what I would like. But there's so many things you've got to take into consideration. You know, there's some of these kids, socially, they've got their friends, they've, be, they've got their friends playing the same team, and they've they've got a school with them, they've gone all the way up through from under sevens, eights, nines, tens, and they become best mates. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and socially, you have to keep them involved. Yeah. So there's these things you have to contemplate when picking a side. So I, ideally, I would have 10, one role in. So I think that's a great point, but it's not as easy as that. So you're 13, and I agree. I would have 10 players in a nine-a-side team with one role in. So I think that's a great idea. That's That was on my blueprint. But you have to give the kids uh, minutes. And because I've got 13 players, mm-hmm. minimum, 25 minutes in a 60-minute um, game. But do you, do you say to the, the parents, so you start the season, you have a meeting with the parents, yep. and you've got X amount of players. Do you say to them, look, I've got a team here, we're, gonna win, we're trying to win things. Yeah. Or do you say, you know what, we're here all together for a lovely time, and we're all going to play the same amount of football. Do the parents know what you're trying to do? Are you so, on the yeah. same so page? I, I, last week, um, myself and my co-manager spoke to the parents, and we said, listen... We'll try and give your boys minimum twenty five minutes out of sixty. They agreed, and then I said, "But in the in the in the important games, in the cup, in the big games, last fifteen minutes, do we all agree that if we need to get a goal or we need to win a game or need to get a um, a point, can I play my strongest team?" And they all agreed. Yeah. So that was brilliant, and that was our understanding. The parents are so that. Yeah, I agree. Can I just say as well before yeah. we go in? He's loving this, man, isn't he? No, I am, but we're giving yeah. you an hard time. Yeah. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. I'm trying. I think yeah. it's brilliant, the yeah. fact that you're giving up your time, Sunday mornings to do it. And also as well, do you know when he talks I about love it? it? Look at the passion I love he comes it, alive. I love it. It's like talking about hairdressing. <laughs> you know, he comes alive when you talk about these subjects. I, I think it's genuinely and brilliant. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, we give football a hard time. And you're right, people's emotions run high from the sidelines. I played tennis on Saturday morning with a good friend. And it was on a recreation what was ground. Come on, what was you got Simon. Uh, uh, Simon. I thought I was, going, I was expecting Hugo <laughs> <Yeah>. from Richmond. <laughs> yeah. But I've got to tell you, there were like 20 youth football teams on the fields, parents getting together. The kids were absolutely loving it. And you didn't just see kids getting better at football and developing their skills. You saw a community there. So what you're doing, I really applaud and salute what you're doing, Robbie. But so far you talked about so, uh, the games, haven't you? You talked about the pitches, you talked about red cards, you talked about welfare officers. What about I'm, developing their yeah, skills? Coming on to okay, that. Come on. on to that. Yeah. So going on to because we're talking about cards. Yep. See, I've got a big thing with under twelves. So when you go to year seven, yeah, and in youth football, I think they've got to learn about respect, decisions on a football pitch, and you never ever see yellow or red cards under twelve level down, do you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would have. Yesterday, there was an incident for us yesterday. One of our boys done a gesture. The referee come over, told the managers. An obscene gesture. Yeah, but he was frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the manager come on the pitch, told the referee. The referee come over to us and said, you know, can you have a word with the boy at halftime? And we had a word with him. He's a lovely kid and it was frustration. So I would introduce um, under 12s a simbin. So basically, if a bad tackle... Because, you know, you've got to stamp that out early on. If there was a gesture answering back to the referee, I would introduce a 10-minute simbin to that child. So if he does a bad tackle, yeah, which would be worthy of a, of, a, of a red card, 
a gesture, answering back the referee, I would introduce a 10-minute simbin at the start. When they go to big school, because these, these, you know, big school's a I big think, thing. I think I think it's a great idea, but what? I think we should be realistic. The reason they're often arguing with the referee is because they watch the Premier League and after the players in the Premier League, when a referee makes a decision, they surround the referee. So don't you think that, to a certain extent, some of the top players have to take responsibility for, for transmitting certain types of behaviour into youth football? This is something which I just don't understand. Because it's something which could be eradicated so quickly. Yeah. It, it'd take three weeks. If someone argues with a ref, like they're doing rugby... Ooh. All right, rugby, we're keeping you. Sorry. It's, like, <laughs> it's a parent who's been slain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in rugby, if they start arguing, you either get simbined or move back. In yeah. cricket, you get reported, you lose all your money, or you get banned. Yeah. In football, just send them off. Yeah. And I said it on the first podcast I think we ever did. The first week, you'd be 6v3, and then these lads, after a few weeks, would cut enough. Yeah. If and, I say that, I'm going to get sent off again. And the managers would tell them. During the exactly. team talk before the match, do not Just argue with your job. And so that, you do, do you think that there is a discipline problem? In we've talked about the discipline problem vis-à-vis the parents arguing with the referee or being dismissive of other parents. Do you think there is a discipline problem at the under twelve level? Of you, you talked about an obscene gesture in general. The matches that you've seen, is there an issue with players, young players, arguing with the referee? Um, no, not. I wouldn't say so. No, I think. Um, since I've been watching, I think the kids have been very respectful of referees because the referees are usually, as Ferry says, age of 14 onwards and they're trying to learn. And I think, you know, so I think the kids see that. And can, but, I, can I just ask but, you one question yeah. on, on values? So you're saying that one way to get the young people to behave in the correct way is to make sure there's a deterrent, i.e. a sin. Yeah. As a coach, do you talk to them? about having a set of ethical values, that you shouldn't dive, that you shouldn't argue with the referee, that you as a coach are going to discipline them. (laughs) Exactly. Because you said in one of the early podcasts that if you had a player in your dressing room who dived to get a penalty, you'd say, well done, mate, slap on the back, we got three points there. As a coach, (laughs) do you see a slightly different level of responsibility (laughs) to try and encourage your players to actually do the right thing? Great question. So yesterday, um, the the tackles were flying in. There was Mm -hmm. a a few... Bad tackles, which I think yesterday would have been worthy of a red card. Wow. Um, in kids' football? Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. there was a couple yesterday. And I said to the you know, the, 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 the guys who commit the foul, you know, go get up, shake his hand. Go and yeah. shake his hand. You know, that level. And to be fair, the kids, they listened to me, went to shake their hands. Um, but <laughs> it's difficult. It's a great question. If, if one of my kids died yesterday to win a penalty... What would you have said? What would I have said? Do you know what? You him a Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said, I would have said to him, being honest, listen, um, just let's just pick a name out. Freddie, because my boy's called Freddie. Just uh-huh. say Freddie. Freddie, you know, you shouldn't do that, son. Um, you shouldn't do that, but... Well done. <laughs> well done. It's, it's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? Until... until... What, if he's, what, if, what if you said to him, Freddie, you shouldn't do that, you give him... And this has happened to me, so it's not on you. Where you tell him, and he just says, "Well, well I've seen you do it, Dad." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that from my yeah. lad. It's it's it... well in the cricket context. Yeah. So what did he do that was wrong? Well, it's just getting stuck into the opposition and right. chirping and things. And I, I don't. What sort of sledging? To... Yeah, I don't want to see my kids do it. I don't want to see the teams that I look after great doing debate. it. It's but, then, but then they yeah. turn around to you and say, yeah. well, I'm going to meet Dad, have a look at YouTube. It would be like me coaching Teddy when yeah. he's a bit older and getting an edge ball, not yeah. acknowledging it and saying, yeah, but you did that well, to exactly. Desmond Douglas in the National like, Do as I say, not as I do. But on, on Robbie's points there, and what one thing, 
for me, which when you talk about respect and you talk about all these things on a football field, well, for me, I think a lot of it stems from education, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And I, I don't believe that in, if you don't have respect in one area of your life, yeah. you can then choose to have it in another. Mm-hmm. And it's that common thread all the way through. And I think a lot of it breaks down through lack of education with yeah. footballers when they get to the top level. Yeah, Football takes over, and then they've got nothing really to back it up with. And right. I, I think that's so important. Do you know, this is, but this is the problem we're dealing with. So I've done three or four or five points already, and I've not even gotten to the football on the pitch. Right, but this is yeah. this is grassroots yeah. football, and this is a coach. Yep. Is this is what I can't get my head round? We're coming on to point five, and we haven't even talked. Not many, <laughs> not many, about eight. But we haven't even talked about the football, the kids yet. Yeah. So on the pitch itself, okay. right? Go on. So on the pitch itself, yep. size of pitches are so important. Yeah. yeah. So nine v nine, you play on big pitches. I'd I'd shorten the pitches. Mm-hmm. So under, you know, under, is that what they're doing in Spain? Don't don't know. Don't they did know. it in Brazil. Massively Brazil. small pitches, tight spaces. Yeah. So it's all about skill. Yeah. I would I would make the pitches smaller. And do you know what I'd do in the first twenty minutes of games? I would make it compulsory, no overhead height. Really? No overhead height for the first twenty minutes because then. They can't just smash the ball over the over if they're under pressure. They've got to try and play their way out. So it's worth putting this in a bit of context. You know, thirty years ago, young players played on full size pitches with full size goals. So yep. all of the emphasis was on big people who could kick it a long way to a big front man, and they would score. There was no emphasis on skill, close touch, any yep. of the things that actually matter at an international level. So by squeezing the pitch, getting them to play under head height, you're yep. trying to build up the ability of people, their game intelligence. More touches. Yep. What about? This is completely off the top of my head, so it might. Okay, might can't wait work. for this one. You talk about under head height, yeah. And when I watch kids football, it's like I call it banana football because they all hang around in bunches, yeah. Right. So if you if you've got your <laughs> banana football, hang around in bunches. I quite right? like that. You can have that yeah, one thanks, for your team mate. talk. So do you know you've got your set position? You've got your centre half, your left back, your yeah. winger, whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, like in netball where you play yeah. in a zone. Yep. Why do you not zone the pitch? So you create more space by people being in certain zones, then you can pass. Interesting. Yeah, but, you, you, but and then when you talk about learning different positions, you then after ten minutes yeah. you all move round as all. We used to do this in training. So in Did training you? you'd, you'd um, split the pitch. Oh, yeah, I, I apologise. <laughs> yeah, you split the pitches into thirds, and you'd have to have so many touches in the first third, and then get the ball through into mm-hmm. the next into mm-hmm. the middle and then the same again into the final third right. so it's it's good but I'm not sure at a young age you you could try it you could try I think it's a very good point but I think that comes with more of experience and more ability so I think the under head height for yep. 20 minutes compulsory around um, up until under 12 and I've, I've got a big thing on why under 12 is big school and I'll come on to that as my last point yeah so is that do you think that's a good smaller pitches under head height for the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you have to get on the ball, more touches, you know, increase skill level. And then because people say about um, British teams that they don't keep the ball possession, yeah. that's what they fall down on. Right, so. so you're saying that yeah. for your under 12 Under teams, head height for you is about on... nine foot four. <laughs> Giganticism. <laughs> well, on, on your Sunday morning team, yeah. if you think that's so important... Yeah, why did I do it? Do you say to your team for the first 20 minutes, I don't want you kicking it above heads? No, be, uh, no, because because what? Because well, that'll for the good you, of them as players and for the good of football, because, you should do. Because if they have to, because they're not used to it, they don't know how to do well, it. They never will be if you don't let them do it. Yeah, but 
but when you're playing to win, so yesterday if I if they go when they go two 0 down, yeah. But what's yeah. more important, winning an under twelve game on a Sunday morning against Sandbach, or is it more important to bring these kids on as footballers it's, and make them better players? Well, yesterday for me it was about. What winning. is your job as coach? <laughs> this team hadn't been beat for two years. They beat beat once in two years. What did you what was the score? Five, uh, we lost five one. So long ball didn't work. <laughs> no, because because you imagine saying to my boys yesterday that right we're two 0 down. You can't kick the ball long. They were bigger, they were quicker, they were stronger. Yeah. So what I'm, about in training? What do you do? Well, they have they have a coach. I don't do training. They have a coach. So, so have you told him what you want your yeah, team? Yeah, I'm going this week. So I got to email him tonight to say, listen, this is what I want my team to work on. So it's so I would introduce smaller pitches, mm -hmm. twenty minutes of under head height, yep. and yep. on that, the keeper. The keeper should not be allowed to kick the ball out of his hands at all, at right. all. So when the ball gets played back to him, or, you know you can't pick it up and just smash up the park. He's got to play out. They did bring a, a, a rule in that when the keeper gets the ball, um, the opposition team had to retreat to the halfway yeah. line, which is I think under tens down. So therefore, you could, they could roll the ball out and give the, the the team with the ball a chance to play out. It was funny that though, because I've seen them do that. And even at that age, yeah. they try and con the ref. Yeah. <laughs> they try and con the ref. They won't just go back to halfway. Like, really? They'll be trying to just, yeah, it's footballers. So, do you agree with that or not? Do you no, agree I, with smaller I, pitches? Do you yeah, agree I, with the keeper? I like that. The ball I like out? a lot of them. Have you got any more? I've got a couple more. Why? Do you want some more? Yeah, come on. Give us one more. It? One more. I would, I, would, I, would inc I would have league tables. They don't have league tables. What? To a certain age, there's no league tables. So I'd, I would do do? implement league tables. Why don't they have league tables? I've no idea. Is that not, it's not one of them, is it? No one wins. No, it's, oh yeah. I would, not, have, not I, would have, I would have, I would have, I would implement league tables. I would make sure that the, you, the kids, because as a kid growing up, we had the Wrexham leader, right? And every Thursday, the youth section would be in the paper. Well, that's the newspaper. I thought yeah. that was the MP. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. When I started playing football, <laughs> yeah. I would look at. The, I couldn't wait for the Thursday for the paper to come yeah. and look at the league table. Where are we? Who are we playing Saturday? The fixtures in the league table. And as a kid, I used to think, right, we need to win that today. You've got to bring in the winning mentality at a certain age. Absolutely. And the reason I'm saying bring league tables in because my Freddie, your two boys, if they're playing football, you want to see where on the table. Mm -hmm. But this nonsense, no league tables. Is ridiculous. It's, right? tr it's trying to reduce competition, isn't it? Because uh, people are worried that kids will get upset if they lose or they're at the bottom of the table. That's part of life. I agree with you. You've got to try and get young people to develop resilience. Robbie, last a lot one, of the things. Last okay, one. go on. Last one. So, the reason why I talk about under 12s and big school is because I'm going to read this. I've wrote it down, right? So, I'd allow kids, you know, um, in grassroots team. So when your kids kids get picked up at the age of five and six this day and age, right, and go to academies, I'm guilty of it. My boy went to a, an yep. academy at five and six, and you lose out on the grassroots. You really do. So I would make a rule that kids can't get picked up by academy clubs until the age of twelve. I really would. I really would. So to allow them to play with their mates, to play with it. A grassroots level, because I signed for Manchester United when I was fourteen. I was allowed to sign schoolboy forms with Manchester United until I was fourteen. I enjoyed playing my mates on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're gonna get if they're good enough, they're gonna get picked up. So I, I would say under twelve, that would be my point. You where don't I'd think say that. so. So your lad, yeah, has been on an academy since what age? Five. He's now fourteen. Yeah. Do you think them eight or nine years haven't helped him? 
Do you think he'd? Do you think he'd have been better off just playing on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning for a club team, or do you think all that time at the academy midweek and everything has helped him? It helped him, yeah. It is, it is. But it, it's definitely helped him. It's definitely helped him. But I just think that the babies. Well, that's my the babies. My next thing was going to be is there's a fine balance between wanting desperately, and all kids do want to be sports stars, a lot of them, and being a kid. Yeah. It's finding that balance. Yeah. And I don't think with what they do at academies, they've found that balance. It's all about producing these footballers, yeah. it's cash, it's this, that, and the other. Do you know why I'm saying 12? Because it's too serious, too young. Yeah, and the parents know the rewards, don't they? But don't you think there's a danger? I mean, what Freddie said is true, is if you've got a young player who's got incredible potential and they could go to an academy and practice, get the best fair, coaching fair, in the world. Yeah, like, and the alternative is they about, don't do that. I'm talking about they're the doing speed. it in Spain. They're yeah. doing it in Brazil. They're doing it On in the Germany. F- they're getting access at the youngest age to the best possible coaching. If we don't do that because we want to say we're going to protect our kids, we want them to have fun with their friends and they get to 14 and they're 12, already... 12, I'm saying. Or 12. 12 years old. They're already 20% down in terms of skill and perceptual awareness compared with their foreign competition. What's that going to mean for the fair future? Point, but I'm talking about grassroots football. That... On, on the development, let's talk about development a little bit. Do you think that the way you coach the, your young players in matches and somebody else coaches them in training, how do you think that the training should be configured to make sure that children are building skill? What should they be doing? Should they be doing drills? Should they be playing short pitch At matches? what age? Should they be doing curver coaching, which is a, a kind of drilling? At what age? Let's say between the ages of 6 and 12. What but should Matthew, young people be doing to become great football? Enjoying himself. Which Enjoy, means what? Enjoying himself. So hang on, you, you've got a 7-year-old boy. You're going to say a 7-year-old boy... Right, you're going training tonight for two hours. You're going to be doing drills. Okay, say say a ten year old. A ten. These are babies. We're talking ten year old boys. That they, they, they're just having. They'll just be playing games. No, go go on to go do it structured. Have a coaching session, and the coaching that my youth um, team put on is very good. But have fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Football is fun. Yeah. But you would structure it. You would have certain types of things. You'd be practicing their I'd... volleys or the headers. Uh, Give I, I, I had an experience of a football academy not too long ago with one of my boys. And I'll be honest with you, I won't name the club, and it's it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. It really was. We turned up, your lad doesn't really play football, he's a big lad, he goes in goal, and he can catch, and he can dive, and he can stop a ball. Uh-huh. So he said, you want to bring him down? So he took him down, I took him on the wrong night. Um, he was with the older kids, but it's fine, he, he mingled him. So he's doing goalkeeper training with about eight other boys. And on this night, you turn up, you get invited. If they're any good, they then progress. So these kids have been going for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You turn up, you get into this holding area, which is a canteen. Hundreds of kids, loads of them, parents, everything. On the way in, I saw an, a parent address a five-year-old child. He was shouting at him. He was like, hey, what did I tell you? You didn't give for the ball. You didn't run. You didn't do this. You were rubbish. You were a disgrace. I brought you here. Yeah. And there's this five-year-old kid just yeah. looking at his dad wanting to get out of there. So my lad goes, I was watching from the sides, doing these drills, and he's diving, and he's stopping balls. And he's, he's having a little bit of fun. And then he goes to the dressing room. He comes out, and he's on the he's face, and he's just on the floor. I says, you all right? He said, Dad, can we just get out of here? And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. you Let's just get out of here. And he's nine, isn't he? He's nine. Mm-hmm. He's nine, Rox. He said, can we just get out of here? So I said, yeah, of course you can. Let's get in the car. I said, what's up? He said, you know what? I don't want to play football. I just want to stick to cricket. Wow. I said, why? 
He says, well, the coach got us in the dressing room afterwards. And bearing in mind, my lad's nine, the other kids were 11 and 12. And he said, he turned around to these five boys and said, you know what, you lot of rubbish. You're not good enough to be here. You'll never make it here. And he said, these kids' faces, and my lad's, he's, as big as he is and young, he loves a cuddle and he's, he's quite affectionate. And he said, he just ruined their dreams. He said, I couldn't imagine someone telling me that about cricket. Because he's not yeah. what about football, about cricket. And these lads, they're trying and they've just told them. And these kids, I saw them walking out. There was one, there was one lad and... He was diving around, he was bouncing around. I was watching him having the time of his life, big grin on his face, thinking, you know what, this is where I'm at. And then I watched him walk out and get in the car with his mum. And the poor boy was devastated. Just, just devastated. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Mm. Fine, there might yeah. be kids who aren't good enough, but why have you said that to hey, him? I, it's, it's great. This is why I'm saying I'm a big fan of, a, uh, I do like academies, but I think an age of 12, because I've, I've wrote this down. Um, I also think that the kids miss out on opportunities in real life by being in an academy where no other clubs will ever get to see the child, which limits them massively, as well as deprives them of grassroots and the ability to experience all different types of football rather than just the perfect circumstances that they are provided with at the academy. Mm. So at 12, it's still, they're still babies at 12, yeah. and they'll have scouts all around the country. So, listen, six, seven, eight, nine. The, the parents see the rewards. So why not say, okay, 12 years, this is when you can start going to academies. It's never going to happen, but it's just my fault because these kids are missing out so much. When you play for academy, you can't play for your grassroots team. It's a good it's a, debate. It's a strange one. You say they're missing out, but then... On, grass, on grassroots, where we got brought up. No, I'm, we sure, but then if, I'm sure if you speak to Deli Alley or yeah. someone like that, he's, he's not missing out on much now, is he? No. So it's a good debate, isn't it? You can have a and grassroots you know, that, academy debate one day. Yeah, and that, that balance between making sure you're developing the skill and giving them the resilience and having competition. You said that you didn't like it if there's no league table on the one hand. Because you don't, you know, these people don't want the kids to be devastated if they're at the bottom of the table. But you're saying, on the other hand, you've got to make it fun and you've got to make it inclusive and you've mm. got to give kids who aren't going to make it to the Premier you've League also a, got, a shot at it. You've also got to think in youth level that these kids are growing all the time. So one week, you know, one week they might be great. The following week they might be a bit off because they're growing, they're growing pains, mm. their, their balance is different. There's so much you've got to, to consider. But the big one, to finish it off, the one I would introduce, the biggest one, would be the yellow and red cards for parents. Love it. Robbie, brilliant blueprint. Beyond Reasonable Doubt on BBC Radio, Five Live. The successful novelist, a body at the bottom of the staircase and a court case that grabbed the attention of the world. We investigate the incredible true crime story of Kathleen and Michael Peterson. I mean, there were just so many indicators of, of a cleaner. How could this be just a coincidence? Including speaking to the man himself. The people who think you're guilty will always think you're guilty. There are certain things I want your listeners to understand. Hear all of the first series at bbc.co.uk forward slash five live. Freddy. Well, my, Moving mine's, on from mine's football not, to cricket. Have I got time for this? Or have we finished? <laughs> Thanks for listening. I've That's got all we've got time for this. Yeah, week. You if you would like to download the podcast, then. Well, I mean, that, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but mine, my, mine's obviously on cricket. Uh -huh. And I take a young team as well. Um, and there are quite a few crossovers from what Robbie's saying. And facilities is a massive thing for kids. And also in cricket, probably even more so, were. You've got the strip in the middle, which is called the wicket. If that's no good where the ball bounces, then the game's ruined before you even start. Yep. 
And it's a tough one because groundsmen don't like putting kids' games on. It's like a bit of a chore, but they need the best facilities they probably can. Mm -hmm. Talk, listen to Robbie about shortening the pitches, making the pitches smaller. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I think from a young age, it's 22 yards at adult level, and then junior cricket is played, I think, at 20, 21, and 19. Mm -hmm. I go even further than that. I go to 17 for the young kids. Interesting. I, and I'd keep getting it wide, longer yep. and longer and longer, the older they get. Mm -hmm. I would make the pitch smaller so kids can hit boundaries, the actual ground itself. I would take players off the pitch. I wouldn't have 11 aside mm -hmm. because what you find is the kids, especially 9, 10, 11-year-old, aren't strong enough to get it through the field. Yeah. So you just got to cover a fielders and they can't get it past. So take fielders off. I'd have hitting zones. So I'd encourage kids to hit straight and in certain areas. So if you hit a straight six rather than getting six, you get 10. Yeah. So kids are now hitting straight. They're playing proper shots. Um, what else have we got on here? No, we've got a few more than that. Uh, They're good though. I hope you got no. a few more. They're good though. Um, competition. Mm -hmm. You always find your level. You find your level. All this nonsense about nobody winning, no league tables. That's why you have a first, second, third, fourth team. If you're playing, you play to win. Yeah. And then as the age groups go up, you, you have kids retiring at 25, at 30 in kids' cricket. And then as you get older, that gets more and more so because the, the standard gets better. Parents, well, I have nothing to do with them, to be honest. If if you don't want to play, if you don't like what I'm doing, go and play somewhere else. It's simple as that. If you're if you're a parent, then, so at what level? So we're going on to parents again. But are you, at what level then? So you're you managed a team all the edge in the thirteens last year. Yeah, you've got these kids. So you've got your best batters who bat first. You've got do, your do best you know, bowlers. Do you, know, do you know what? Do you know what? I so did? can a can a kid turn up if he's not a very good bat or not a very good bowler? You've got a kid who who loves it. He's just going to stand at third man and not bat. No, it wouldn't be my team. Oh, really? I won't have him in my team. If you can't bat and bowl, it's the fundamentals of cricket. He's yeah, not but, playing. Why would I have him? Yeah, but you, you get some kids. Might as well get a traffic cone. <laughs> Might as well get an hat stand out. Okay, you've, okay you've, what, you've got, you've what's got... the interaction like with the parents? I mean, in football, Robbie's been saying the parents will start shouting from but the sidelines a lot. Yeah. In cricket, is it more civilised, different it, sort of subculture? It is more civilised, but then even to the point where you, sometimes you hear a parent appealing. <laughs> and it's like, what what are you doing? And then the strange thing is, I took this team and I, I picked the best ones from for the under-13 side to play in this cup team. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be a little bit of um, contention between who thinks the best players, parents think their son's better. And I'll pick it. And then I hear there's a little bit of backbiting <laughs> to other people, but nobody's actually come and said to me, why? Mm -hmm. If you've got a problem, I'll tell you. And I'll be honest with you, what I did in some games, I actually didn't pick what you would necessarily think are the best players because I looked at them as an all-round package where I want, I picked a couple of lads who probably weren't as good, but their attitudes and what they give to a side yeah. is far better than a couple of others because yeah. it a, it's a team game. After How difficult all. is it to manage? Because parents, they love their kids so much. They want them to have the opportunity. You're the one who polices whether they do or don't get an opportunity. It's, it's a big part of the coaching, managing the parents. Well, the hardest thing is in cricket is that everyone, they bat in an order. Right. And not everybody's going to bat. Yeah. And that's when it starts causing problems. Where, And I, I find in football, in cricket, in everything, actually, even when you go to school gates, parents are so competitive. And if their kids in set three or something for a subject, they almost take it as a as a slur on them. Yeah. It's not a representation of the kid. 
it's they're desperate for their child to be the best at everything, and especially where we live, Rob. If if they're not, then they see that as an insult to them. Yeah. And it's more about them than the actual kids because if I watch a game of football, a game of cricket, a game of rugby, I'm not an expert in all these things. But you can show you you know who the best players are just by watching. You know the kid who's lucky to be there. You know the kid yeah. who's having a day out to so the kid who's really good. And how parents don't see that. I, I think just... I think it's difficult. I mean, I'm just rewinding to my time in table tennis that my dad got very emotionally involved. If I wasn't selected or Andy wasn't selected and he thought we deserved to be selected for Reading in the inter-town match, he would go ballistic. He would phone the coach. He would say, is this race? What on earth is going on yeah. here? But my mum was capable of emotionally disentangling herself, looking at it objectively. She generally thought the coaches had the right intentions. But did your parents, Fred, ever find it difficult if you weren't selected or you weren't in the right place in the batting lineup? Because I thought, Robbie, with you too, how did your parents well, I've Well, I've wrote this down. You know, I've put coaches and parents are affected by emotion, especially parents, as this is not a blueprint. It's their child on the pitch. And even the mildest-mannered, well-behaved parent can be affected by emotion yeah. and behave completely out of character. Irrationally. How, mean, how were your parents with you? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Were they... All right. There's a yeah. couple of times, I think, when I was playing for Lancashire under-13s when I wasn't getting a goal, but it, it, you know, it was fine. You know, you know when you talk about... I'm interested because I watch the cricket. I think shortening the, the wicket... Because I've seen kids who bowl, it bounces three times. Yeah. And then the, the better players can hit the ball. So I think the shortening the wicket is is a brilliant idea. Well, the, my lad played for the Lancs junior teams and they did it against Knots. Knots do it. They play 17 yards. And you look at it, you think that's short. And I was a bit sceptical, but then I saw it in action. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. But my big thing, right, big thing, because I'm having a little bit of a battle with it at the minute, is... Kids being ready to play professional sport sooner. Yeah. In the late teens. Yeah. I think cricket's got a problem where, you know, we've got lads at 23 and everyone's waxing lyrical about them, but they should be that good at 18, 19. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a battle with one of my lads at the minute where I want him to play up. But because of policy, you have to talk to a school teacher and they've got all this mm -hmm. and he's got a. And I'm I'm doing it objectively. I'm doing it obviously as a parent, but someone who's invested into a club and into the club's future. And whether it's my lad or somebody else's, I'm all for kids playing up levels to whatever standard they should be playing at. Yeah. And getting them ready sooner yep. to be good good players in any sport. And the good thing about cricket is because it's non-contact, you can do that. There's no reason why a 10-year-old shouldn't play for the under-13. If your technique's good, you can play higher. Yeah, and I think that should be encouraged all the way through. So it's not in cricket at certain ages? Well, it's it's not the norm. They, they don't tend to do it because they don't want to upset the apple cart. We're getting yeah. back to parents now. Yeah. The parents and other people will get you know a bit prissy about it. Can I ask you one question on the England first team? Yeah. If you were to be leader, the coach, the manager of the England team, the senior team. Are there any changes you would make to that setup? Any things that you could reform or introduce that would change the way that they performed, the way they delivered, the way they competed in international cricket? Not on the field. Mm -hmm. No, I, I genuinely think the job of a coach at that level is you're, you're to facilitate. Yeah. You're facilitating what the players' needs to a certain extent. Your job, I don't think... if I If I'm... If I'm coaching England side and I get a player who's technically inept, then I'm thinking to get to this point, 
someone's not done the job. Mm -hmm. I should not be changing techniques. I should be offering advice or I should be saying, why, why don't you just try this as opposed to changing someone's technique? My job as coach would be to make them players go out there feeling the best they possibly can. I think it's more of a mental thing. But the one thing I would do, and I think you alluded to it before, Rob, is when, when I was younger, I did things for myself. You know, I I could do things. I could book a train. I, I, I could book an holiday. I could I could insure my car. I remember Nick Knight, who I played cricket with. He finished playing cricket and he'd gone through all his career getting sponsored cars. I had to buy a car at the end of his career. He had no idea you had to insure it. And I think life experience. Yeah. I yeah. think do things for yourself. I was with an agent and the whole thing behind it was let's take away the stress of life so you can just concentrate on your cricket. But that's not the norm. I want to know how to pay a gas bill. You know, I want to know how to post a letter first class, <laughs> recorded delivery. <laughs> I, I want, yeah. and I think it's the players... Missing, great points, when, great when, points. When you go on tour, you drop your bags off at the hotel. Yeah. When you get to India, they're outside your room. No, check yourselves in. Yeah. Do things for yourself, because I think all these things filter down is... I, I, I'm not... When I mentioned education before and respects, well, you can't choose that in one area of your life and not have it in others. And I think for all these things, you've got to be self-sufficient. And what I found when I was coaching a side, the side I coached, the good, and under 10s, under 11s, under 12s, they beat everyone. They played under 13s, and it was a harder challenge. And the first game, they were playing against older kids who pushed back a little bit. And all of a sudden, I was, I was umpiring, I was looking at the lads, and they didn't know how to react when things weren't going their way. Mm -hmm. And it's preparing them for that. And then through the season, we chatted about it, and they got better at it. But I don't think adult players too, neither, because everything's yeah. done for them, everything's given for them. They don't have to do the tough stuff. Yeah. So when sides push back or they're against it, I think sometimes they don't know how to react. They need life experience as well. When as you talk about that, just quickly, when you talk about the hitting zones... You know, so is that the hardest shot to hit or oh, straight back over the bowler's head? So why would you introduce hitting zones? Because the they go for leg side, don't they? They go, they, they go across the ball. And right. it's, it's all about, for me, hitting the ball, having intent to hit the ball. So hitting it straight up. I know the game's changing. You can play these ramp shots and scoop shots, which is all ones the kids want to play. And it's not necessarily so all kids can hit the ball straight. It's just encouraging them to hit the ball, not yeah. just yeah. dinking it around and nudging it. I think it's a good hitting idea. The ball. So, should we move on to my one? No. Business. <laughs> yeah, go on then. Yeah. How do we get business? So, you asked me to do this. You're interested in what no, I, I think say when I go... I think we're both Freddie's a businessman. I think we're both are. So, you've talked about innovation in football. You've talked about innovation in cricket. When I go and speak to businesses, I talk about innovation, continuously improving what they do across every dimension of performance. So, if you take construction, what is the biggest problem? If you have somebody to come and do an extension, you have somebody to change the lights in your kitchen... And they have a project. What always happens with a construction project? Late. It's late. It runs over and it runs over budget. Now, to me, that's an opportunity. What can we do differently next time to ensure that the project is delivered on time? But in construction, there is a massive problem. They don't innovate. They just say, oh, it was a bad job. Sorry about that, mate. And they do exactly the same is thing. Is that how builders in... talk? That's how they talk. That's right, the accent. Yeah. They do it in the same way in exactly the same problems the next time around. My pitch to businesses 
is if you want to be the best in the world, you constantly have to change what you do in the light of what you learn with any given project that you deliver. So take Google. Is that what you said to him? That's the kind of thing. Have you for cliches? (laughs) Is that what you do? Do you you give them on a sticker for the cars? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take Google, quickly. So the colour of the links on the Google toolbar are blue. How easy for them to say, we're a $500 billion company, we hire talented people, that must be an incredibly good shade of blue. But that's not the dynamic at Google. They're constantly thinking, can we improve it? So they divided the colour blue into 40 different shades, randomly allocated users who clicked onto the website to each of the different shades, measured the resulting profitability of the relationships, found that one of the shades was more alluring, more profitable than the other 39, changed all of their web links to that shade of blue, an annual uplift in revenue of $200 million. They do 12,000 of those tests every year, changing their assumptions, constantly looking how they improve. James Dyson's dual cyclone vacuum cleaner, 5,126 failed prototypes, learning more about separation efficiency, airflow dynamics. So they now have an incredibly brilliant functional vacuum cleaner. We have different sort of sectors in the world. Some are static. They're passive. They're not looking for improvements. High tech and other industries are constantly on it. And you know what I was reading off from you two? You're both innovative in the way you think. What you were saying about pitches in cricket, what you were saying about the England team, developing their human skills, what you were saying about youth football, we need more innovation in sport. Too many coaches say, yeah, we've been doing it this way for 30 years. Is that that builder? Is is that a torture builder? (laughs) (laughs) I think, for what it's worth, I think football is very static in the way it thinks about the game. There aren't enough innovators. We need to change coaching. So... You can ask a question as well. So you Thanks, pitched. Oh. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> you pitched to like because you're successful now. Then you pitched to the big people, the big industries. Do you talk to the man in the street who can maybe can't afford all that, like a normal guy? Well, every now and again, I've mentioned what, you speak to someone in the street every now and then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 so you you talk to a construction company. I, I would think you would go into these big, massive construction yeah. companies, the, the top ones. But would you go to John from Grimsby and say, John, listen, this is what you should be doing? Well, funnily enough, I've been working with a psychologist on entrepreneurs in Africa, Uganda, Togo. These are places where, you know, they have tiny sales. They don't have much money to do seed investment. But we're working on changing the psychology. There's a paper published in Science magazine literally last week. It was serialised in The Economist. We're changing the psychology of these entrepreneurs to think, how could we do things differently? One of them was making saucepans. They thought, you know what, this is a really big area in, in African entrepreneurship. They said, OK, we need to try and make sure we improve the quality. They went and got a licence They with, with a, a Western... Um, like a, you know the British kite mark, something of that kind to improve the quality and integrity of the saucepans. They started to innovate the production process, change the materials, and suddenly it's growing. It's doubled its number of staff. So I think this is applicable yeah. across the board. I, I, I think you got it the wrong way around, Matthew. I think you're building the house upside down in, in the respect that you're going to speak to the entrepreneurs, you're going to speak to the leaders and the bosses who are at the top. That's fine. I'll be honest with you, as a captain and trying to relate it to sport... You could be the best captain. You could be the most innovative thinker in the world. But if you've not got the right people right. underneath you, you've got no chance. I That's found right. this as captain. Because what happens is I didn't really have the team behind me. 
And I've watched other captains that I play for make bad decisions. Yeah. But because everyone's pulling in the same direction, you can get away with it. And when you talk about um, all these people at the top and talking about the work and blah, 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 blah. The problem is when you relate it to sport, right? I, I did what I always wanted to do. I walked out on a cricket field for Lancashire for England, loved every minute of it or most of it. Robbie was the same. He put every ounce of effort in to be a professional footballer, mm. doing his dream job. Mm -hmm. You're talking to a construction worker who is not doing his dream job. Yes. And I, I, I'm not saying that. Some might be, but a lot of people in, in job-wise settle for what's available and what they can do. So there's not that passion. There's not that love. So it's fine addressing these people at the top because they're in all the coin. They've set this company up. This is their dream. Down the bottom, this is not their dream job. Yeah, that's true. And it's motivating these people, mm. which is more important. But the problem with that is, Matthew... <laughs> well, this is good, you two, I like this. When, when you're motivating them people, you don't get thousands and thousands of pounds to do it. You have to stop in the street and speak to them. Yeah. You've just knocked at his old philosophy in the last 20 years. You just hammered him. I've not. I've you built not, the house actually, in, a funny, in a funny kind of way, I, but I agree with Fred. I think you've got to empower the people on the ground. If they've got a job and they're just being told what to do and they're being hammered, they're not going to have but fun. But do they're you not then? Do passionate. you? I think it's crucially but important. But do you do that? Well, I, in the talks that I do to business, it's often not to the leadership. It is to the mm. people on the ground. Absolutely. It's to, to, to the staff. And you've got to empower them. I mean, one of the things in the SAS... They empower the people on the ground in the theatre of war to make decisions, to think on their feet, to be agile. They're empowered. That's how the military is changing at the moment. I think we need that in all sorts of different sectors at the moment. Call centre workers have to read from a script. They can't use their brains. Yeah. If there's a new problem that comes in from somebody who's got an issue, they, they have to look at the script and then just read out some algorithm. This is, this is where you also give, right, you give sorry. call centre workers more discretionary space. They begin to step up. They begin to think creatively about how to solve the problem that the person has. Suddenly the whole dynamic changes. Freddie, I'm with you absolutely. And I think one of the problems with bad leadership is they think they have to make the decisions for everybody in the organisation. In sport, by the way, in football... This is why I hate the manager at the side gesticulating, do this, do that, as if he's a puppet master and the players are just, you know, extensions of his or, well, it's always a him, isn't it? His will. Players should be empowered to make their own decisions on the pitch, to think strategically and to adapt to what's happening from the other team. Because often the other team sets up in a way that the manager hasn't anticipated. So, Fred, TV, I'm with you. TV and radio is even worse. I, I, I've been shocked right. at my experience within it. Yep. Because when... When you play sport and you're in a dressing room, or the best advice could come from the most unlikely sources. Stephen Armisen might have a good idea, you never know. But you, you, take, <laughs> you, you take in everything that's coming in. And then you go into TV, yeah. and this hierarchy, yeah. I, I, it's, it's like, well, I'm the director, I'm in charge. I'm the producer, I do this. Yeah. And the shows that I've done, or when we've been on the travels, I want everyone to have an input. Yeah. You know, the runner might have the best idea, and usually they do because the runner's usually the person who is young, fresh, yeah. creative, mm -hmm. wants to get us. But then it's almost as if oh, I'm gonna. Everybody else feels threatened yep. by someone in a lesser position saying something because Fred, they're Fred, insecure in their job. Okay, Fred, th this, this is so significant in, in the corporate world at the moment. You know, there are accidents that have happened in aviation because the engineer or the first officer has seen something going wrong. 
But because they've been told that the captain is the boss, the big cheese, yeah. the person has to make all the decisions, they don't say anything, and the plane crashes. Happens in all in operating theatres where the nurse doesn't feel empowered to say what she thinks. Often a female nurse because they're worried that the surgeon is the person in charge. Happens in television. It happens in creatives. So there's this phenomenon called the wisdom of crowds. If you actually get different people to offer their perspectives, doesn't mean you necessarily agree. But you get the benefit of the judgment of everybody. And you get far, in all of these different randomised controlled trials, you get far better decision-making when you have leadership that are capable of giving people a voice. I was and always moment, told to challenge leadership. Right. Absolutely. Not challenge it, but if you got some, ask why. I was always told, ask yep. why. Right. And then the people who get the ump at that are the ones who don't know or they're insecure. Exactly. Yeah, I'll give you one interesting one. You know, boards of directors... They yeah. measured how often people on the board, directors, would challenge or dissent from the chairman or chief executive. The ones that had that ability to dissent and to discuss and to debate and bring lots of perspectives to the table, their equity values were significantly higher. So I think you're right. That's why you need leaders who understand this. A lot of leaders are threatened when people say, I'm not sure I agree with that. They think it destroys the chain of command. Great leadership, you can have people speaking up and strengthen the chain of command. Bobby? I'm just lost. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to move on. Football, another weekend of disputed decisions. We've had the usual mix of penalties and handballs. In boxing, we had a controversial scorecard in Las Vegas, a difference of opinion in Manchester where Huey Fury lost his title fight to Joe Parker on points. This time, two judges scored at 118-110. The, uh, the other judge saw the fight... George? Was it, how many judges were there? <laughs> saw it as a 114-114 draw. So the question we're asking, what's the worst decisions you've ever seen made in sport? And what do you think are the hardest decisions to get right? Oh, I think... Um, I'm do you a... look back at some of your TV clips and look at the claws <laughs> and think that was a bad decision? Very bad that decision. That was a bad decision. Uh, claws, bad decisions. I'm Obviously, I'm going to re relate this to the football the Maradona handball for yep. England fans. I think it was all clear. And you could see Peter Shilton's reaction at the time. Yeah. Did, you know, do, you, do you remember watching that live? I was at home, yeah. I was at you home. remember it? Yeah, what, what, yeah. 1986. When, it, when you say it's a bad decision... I, you could see. You have could you it. see? I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you could see just the way... He, he, so basically, it wasn't it, obvious in it, real time, though, was it? I thought it was. Uh -huh. You could see Peter Shilton... You know, He wasn't the biggest Peter Shilton, great goalkeeper, but he had his hands in the air. But Maradona got above him... With his head, Maradona could leap high, but you could see the way his arm was. It was it had to be handball. And the, the player's reaction, so the Maradona one was obviously um, um, a very poor decision for England fans. But going back to the Frank Lampard goal yeah, um, in that game against... I don't, I don't know. Germany. So Germany, it was I think it was 2-1 at the time. Um, England were trailing. Um, and then Frank Lampard hit a shot, hit the crossbar, was literally Fred. Two foot over the line, it bounced down and bounced back out, and it wasn't given. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, the technology's uh, video goal line technology has been brought well, in. And I think that is the best decision people have made. It's clear now and obvious because that obviously the World Cup, you can go back to the World Cup, yeah, 66. Was that ball over the line in video technology now? You'd know, we, we still don't know. It was given, it was a goal, obviously, but. You still can't tell. So I think the goal line technology has been absolutely great. The one... But do you need the technology? Do you know if there's a problem? 
Why did they not just stand someone next to the post? You still at the line? can't tell. You think? Well, if I'm stood there, you still. If, I, if, I, if I'm a you spur official, because yeah. they've got a lot of officials now, haven't they? Yeah. And they think, you know what, Frank Lampard's might have gone over. This is where football's thick. Why don't they? Th- <laughs> why don't they think? You know what? Why don't we just stand someone next <laughs> because, to that line? You put someone in. All right, think about it, Freddie. Freddie, think about it. Tennis. You got line judges on every single line, wrong. but they still make mistakes. Whereas you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? I, I know why. I watch tennis <laughs> if I have to. If there's nothing else on telly, you know, if all of the other channels on the telly have gone fuzzy and there's tennis on, I might watch it. And you stood there and you see these line judges, and they, they have that crouch. They're all about eighty. That's why they can get some young blood in. They, they stand there. Well, I mean, now they've got Cyclops, yeah. or whatever it's called, for lines, which Both is about right. But they're old people, aren't they? Their eyes have gone. So the hardest decision I think you can you, is now is going to be diving. That is yeah. going to be hard yeah. because it's subject. The subjective ones, you know, where people are going to be judging on is so difficult because a dive, unless if you're not touched, you know, but then a dive, you could say, is he hurling to get out of the way of a chance which could have hurt him? So this, how are you going to say... He dived. It's easy. He's dived. <laughs> it's not though. This, this is, so many things that come into the equation. Yeah. This is where I don't. I don't like sports which are subjective. You talk about diving. Diving. You know, someone might see it differently. Torval and Dean, when the eighties were robbed at the Olympics, robbed. Uh-huh. Should have won a gold on the comeback trail, shouldn't they? <laughs> In them purple outfits. What they going? The Bolero. Yeah, was that? That's might have been when they won. I think it was actually. Yeah, I don't. But the subject, surely in this day and age, no sport should be subjective. But it, even in cricket, there's going to be some subjectivity, isn't there? Well, they're trying to get it out, aren't they, by oh. these referrals and things. Uh-huh. But there should nothing should be subjective. Even boxing. We saw Huey Fury. We didn't watch it. Me and Rob were travelling home from Scotland and it's on the radio. And everyone's saying that Huey Fury's beaten Scott Parker. Yeah. Is it Scott Parker? Um, He's a footballer, isn't he? No, the, Joe, the ginger. Joe. He's the ginger Joe, one down Joe south. We had Mike Costello and Steve Bunce on. Yeah, brilliant, Bunce, weren't great, they? yeah. And it was, it was great radio. And it was, but, uh, but this yeah. is subject... Because one, one judge had it as a draw. Yeah. And then all the pundits were saying it's a masterclass from Huey Fury, 23, to do this, defensive masterclass. Could have let a few more go, but he's been brilliant. And then two judges, 110, 118 yeah. against him. Yeah. And surely there is somewhere now where it's on, it's on telly. They've got cameras. Surely... But the funny thing about boxing is... You can see a punch you, land. But the, you, you know your history of boxing. Sugar Ray Leonard against Marvin Hagler, huge mm. bout, middleweight unification. Actually, I think it was for one of the belts that Hagler held at the time. And even experts would look at that fight. Leonard was more defensive. Hagler was more aggressive. Some people scored for Leonard. They're impressed with his ring generalmanship. Um, Others scored for Hagler. I think you do have subjectivity in boxing, even if you watch it on TV, even if you have computers, there's going to be an element of stuff. But the thing about boxing, Pernell Whitaker against Julio Cesar Chavez, another big bout. I was really into boxing at the time. Whitaker was fantastic. He completely dominated Chavez. It was scored a majority draw. I lost my interest in boxing at that point because I thought it was corrupt. Whereas in football, I think that some of the bad decisions, some of the controversy is part of what makes it so much fun. 606, a lot of the calls are about refereeing decisions, about offsides, about diving. That sort of soap operatic controversy is part of what makes football fun. What about cricket? What are, what are, what are the worst things you've seen in cricket? 
Well, one of the decisions was made by a player in Australia. They need they're playing a game and the fella bowled an underarm, so they couldn't win. And then they changed well, the rules. But that was like when was it, that? In the eighties. Yeah, answer your phone. You're all right. It's not my phone. It's yours. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think the toughest decision is in in cricket for an umpire? What he's gonna have for his lunch? <laughs> Hang on. I, 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 do they have to make a decision now? I don't yeah, cricket. because you, what, you get, where, you get where? LBs. You still got to make a decision. It right, can yeah, be referred, yeah. but only in Test cricket or televised games. But I, I've been out given out to some terrible decisions in the past. The and, worst? Oh, the worst was in New Zealand. I missed it by about a foot. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd hit it because I hit the ground at the same time. <laughs> um, so I trudged off. But yeah. Cricket's a tough one, and I'm going to go against what I just said a minute ago because I still feel the umpire is sacred. Whatever he says goes, and there is human error, but I think it adds to the respect of the game where you've not got a football scenario. Everyone charges around him, arguing with him, but we are getting to the point now where he's being challenged through referrals. And even them, I, I still don't understand the process because it's umpire's call, it might be hitting the wickets, but he's not out. Either go all the way technology and get a definitive decision or stick to the umpire. I think that should be the case in all sports. Has there ever been a decision in cricket that was so bad, so woeful, that you've looked at it and said, you know what, something in me died there because I wanted the game to be won by the better team, the better player, and yet it hasn't been? Not really. The only decisions were when they started match-fixing and spot-betting. Right. You know, bowling no balls and yeah. all them type of things. Uh-huh. But... Yeah, I, 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 I don't know, Rob. What, what, what are you going to do? Do you know, do you know what referees? You talk about referees. There was a stat out not so long ago. Um, so a ref, a Premier League referee has to make. Do you know this, Matthew? He makes around two hundred forty-five decisions per game, three times more than an average player touches the ball over ninety minutes. That's one decision every twenty-two seconds, right? I suspect that's a flawed statistic, don't you think? Because they must be making much, many more decisions than that. Because even either... so, listen. Approximately forty-five of these decisions are technical, whether goal kicks, corners, or throw-ins, leaving around two hundred decisions to judging physical contact and disciplinary actions. Of those two hundred, around thirty-five are visible decisions where an action is taken, fouls, restarts, and one hundred and sixty-five are non-visible where players are allowed to continue. In total, refs make around five errors per game, meaning that they are right ninety-eight percent of the time. Yeah, that's interesting. Ninety-eight percent of the time. Yeah, well, that's all right. Well, don't you think we are incredible fo- when you think about it? Yeah, ninety-eight percent of the time a referee's right on the football pitch. And I think they did a documentary somewhere where players were asked to go and try and be referees for a day, and some of those offsides are incredibly difficult to get right because you've got to be looking at two different places at the same time. You've got to be using your peripheral vision to tell whether or not a player is offside or not when the ball is played from a different part of the pitch. But I think in football. We often hammer a referee for taking a decision that turns out to be wrong. Game change, but big not. But we yeah. don't hammer a referee for failing to take a decision that they might have taken on a foul yeah. that they didn't actually then make. That, that ninety-eight percent, the two percent, will be the big massive decisions that everybody right. talks about. Exactly. As Do you have sympathy with referees? No, not at all. Even though you know that it's difficult and they get ninety-eight percent of the decisions right. Um, I'll take that back. Do I have sympathy, with referees? I'll take it back, Rob. Just um, get through. Uh, I do with the ones who who 
do I have sympathy referees? Do I have sympathy referees? Um, the fact they get hammered, they're doing their best. They've not got a huge amount of technology to help them, and they get they, hammered every single week by they, the managers and the fans. They've got a choice. They've got a choice. They choose to be referees. They choose to be referees, and in 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 in, I believe it's a professional job now. It's a well-paid job. They get to see the world. You know, some of, <laughs> they do. They go, they no, do. No, just... <laughs> they do. It means you're growing up. You're going to be yeah. a referee now. Being a referee... Yep. 40 years ago, it's yeah. different to being a referee now. It's they lucrative, get, they too. Get, they get lucrative, they get chauffeured to games. They're like stars. They've got, they got newspaper column affair, and so they should, yeah. because I want to hear their insight, and I do oh. like it. But have I got sympathy with them? When they get the big decisions wrong, no. No, because do, you can see it, but they can't come out and speak after games, which drives me mad. Do, do, you, Andrew, think, yeah. do you think psychologically something happens to the referee? You know, like if you have somebody working on the door at a nightclub, they've got that power. They can say, no, your jeans aren't skinny enough. You're not coming in. And suddenly they start to become almost inflamed by the power. They become megalomaniacs. I think that the really good referees and umpires, they've got the power but they don't abuse it. But I think there are some who get that power and they start lording it over the place. It's players. like they've had a good game if you don't notice them. Exactly. But, but some, some want to be noticed. Yeah. What's the worst, to, find, to find, finish this off then, what's the worst decision you've ever seen in sport? Me? Both of you. Um, worst one decision. that I was involved in, Ashes, 2002, I think, in Australia. Nasser Hussein, captain, won the toss at Brisbane. <laughs> it's bat. You've got a bat. There's no two ways about it. You're at Brisbane, bat. Bat. Just say, yes, we'll have a bat. Get your pads on, Michael Atherton. We'll have a ball. <laughs> we bowled because I. He, he comes up as a tinge of green on it. Nonsense. <laughs> he didn't have the confidence in himself or his team to put runs on the board. Terrible decision. What happened? How many did you make oh, now? Did you remember? Yes, we fielded for about three days. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Matthew Hayden get loads of runs. Was it a draw or a loss? Oh, we got hammered. We got hammered. I wasn't, I wasn't playing. I was injured. I'd have come back from injury and I got brought on as 12th man. Did you? And I couldn't run when I got put in at slip and then I got put at deep back with square leg and got sent off by NASA. Really? But 12th man got sent off. That was a bad decision as well, Nas. But batting, <laughs> got a bat at Brisbane. That's it's interesting, isn't it? The worst decision you've ever seen. It wasn't an umpire, wasn't it was a, a referee, it was a captain of the England what was team. Yours? Mine, okay, from table tennis, there was an Olympic final in doubles. And there's a rule in table tennis that when you serve, you have to throw the ball yeah. straight up. Do you know what? Do you know that annoys me? Do you know when you play people? Yeah. And they're not like. Or fair with that rule, and they think they've got a brilliant serve. They yeah. do it straight out of their hand. So that you get this. Me. The reason it's not allowed is if you do it straight out of the hand, you can get about ten times as much spin because you're getting a faster accelerating ball. So it's it's illegal to do it. But the thing is, you can throw this ball straight up, and it's absolutely vertical, or it could be one degree off vertical. Every single umpire in the history of the world has said, you know, so long as it looks vertical, mm. you're okay. Olympic final doubles. People have worked for four years to get there. This umpire started calling somebody for not throwing the ball straight up. Yeah. They were throw. I mean, I got the. I was commentating on this for the B, but the Olympics, and they were doing these slow motion. I've got to tell you, it was vertical. Every single person in the world who had any understanding of table tennis would have said that was a legal service. It ruined the match. 
destroyed their chances of winning the gold medal. I've never been so frustrated in my life. And it was somebody who wanted to get... You've had a good life then. Somebody wanted to get... <laughs> you've had a good life. <laughs> if that's the most frustrated you've been. But you know what it was? It was somebody who wanted to get on the telly. Yeah. Somebody who could say, yeah, that was me. I was the, the really significant person in that doubles match. It you've done it right before. since. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you've done well since. I see. Just quickly on table tennis. Yeah. Slightly off piste. Mm-hmm. Jamie Redknapp's desperate to play you. He oh, texted yeah. me the other day, desperate Dev to play. Dev said. on Instagram, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. There's a lot of good uh, footballers at table tennis. Van Persie. He's not fantastic. one of them. Jamie's not one of them. Is he not? Is Go he on, not? Rob. Worst decision. Um, worst decision I've ever seen was um, the Lampard one. The Lampard. It was, it was, as you said, anybody could see that. It was two, three foot over the line. But what but about that. when you were a player? So you're on the me, pitch. Chris you, Foy. Go on. Uh, Cyclist. This <laughs> <laughs> boy set me off. Only red card in only, only my red only red card in domestic football. I got sent off once for Wales. That was a shocking. In fact, the two red cards I've received in my career were absolutely scandalous. And uh-huh. if they were reviewed now, they would be um, taken back. What happened with Foy? Foy. So I'd been booked, uh-huh. and then I was in the, on the halfway line playing Middlesbrough for Blackburn. Two one down. George Boltang is literally a yard away from me. He smashes the ball. He's trying to spread out wide. I've got my arms by my side. Yeah, so I was making myself like I was crouched down a little bit, just jockeying. Yep. He smashed the ball from my head away, hit me on the arm. My arm flung back around my head. <laughs> he hit it that hard. Second yellow card for hand ball in the middle of the pie. It was a most nonsense decision. So Chris Foy, never forgive him. Only red card in my domestic career. And then the referee, Northern Ireland Wales, Michael Hughes, Smash me! People can look at this on YouTube. You haven't seen it. I've got nailed. I'm running away from him, which is quite hard to believe in the first place. <laughs> He's come from behind, chopped me down. Uh-huh. I've gone flying. I've I've got up. My shorts are like <laughs> down a little bit. Yeah. I've gone. I've just stood up. So I've got nailed. I've stood up. He's pushed me. I've gone backwards. Remember, like Paul Alcott, the referee. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got that. I've fell over and I've got set off. What? Honestly, you've got to look at I've YouTube. Got, I tell you what, if that is an accurate description of what actually happened, I'll that show, sounds I'll, like the biggest travesty I'll show you ever. In, I'll show you in the week. It's unbelievable. So those two referees, shocking. Well, another terrible decision. Terrible I hope this decision. is NASA. Terrible decision. Again. It's a cricket one. It's about me. Terrible decision. We're going to Bangladesh on a tour. Right? I, I'm injured. I can't bowl. Mm-hmm. But I'm averaging 50 or 60 with the bat. So it's the morning we're leaving to go to Bangladesh. I don't know if I'm going. Right, they've not made the decision. I'm in bed with the missus. <laughs> I booked a taxi to take me to Manchester Airport. It's coming in half an hour. Uh-huh. I've had my blazer pressed. It's in the cupboard. <laughs> All my kits ready. I packed my bag. So then I think Rachel's saying, "Are you going to Bangladesh?" I said, "I'm not sure to be honest. I don't know what's happening, but taxi's coming in half an hour." So I phoned up the selector, David Graveney. I said, "Grav, just a quick one." <laughs> Am I um, am I going to Bangladesh or what? Because I don't know if to get up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he he, he started, oh 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 well well um um we we we've and I, I love I get on real well with Grav so he's not saying it. He said well we we've, we've decided um we, we're not going to take you we're going to take Paul Collingwood. I said oh. are you sure about this? <laughs> are you sure? I, I read out how my season had gone and his season. He says yeah we've decided not to take you. Um. Worst decision ever. How can you not take us? What I was said. the what was the reasoning behind it? Well, they love Collie, don't they? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so they took him. So I turned over and went back to bed. Terrible but, decision. Tell you, 
I'm just going to show you the red card, right? So I'm just showing now, as we speak, Matthew and... Um, Who's Kenny. the ref? Who's the ref? Has he got a syrup on? What, what's this? What's this, right? You need to get on the mic, Matthew, because it's not... So okay. what, we're watching it now. Let's speed it on here. Right, what's this? Here we go. Here we go. Robbie Savage find out. Oh! What? 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 Oh. Right, I'm going to try and describe this. Robbie Savage is at full pace down the wing. His ponytail is bouncing behind him. The fella comes in, chops him down. Robbie, in his anger, anger gets up and tries to pull his shorts down. Why did you grab his pants? The hard man of football grabbing shorts. And then the other fella okay. takes a swing at him. Robbie Savage, backpedalling, not on the front foot. Hands on his head, get sent off. Okay, I think Robbie. you got sent off there for being a bit of a wimp. How <laughs> <laughs> was that sent off? Okay, that is a terrible decision. But didn't you grabbed him? Didn't you grabbed his shorts? He sort of the pulled shorts his shorts to get up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> How am I sent off yeah. for that? Oh, terrible, it's terrible. There you go. What anyway, did the, what did the uh, coach and the other players say after? Yeah, they, they're on your why side. Why did you grab his shorts? But you know what the thing was on the pitch, the way I was crying my eyes out. Oh, that was. Really? Do you know why? Because I knew. I'd miss the game against England or Old Trafford. I was suspended for the next game. And it's the first thing I thought, yeah. we're going to miss England, Old Trafford for Wales. Yeah. Never played against England. Gutted. So we, we see bad decisions in football, bad decisions in cricket. Any decisions outside sport that has affected you? Something that somebody said or done, and it wasn't fair, it wasn't just, and it's totally frustrated you. Because bad decisions aren't just about sport, they're about life. Oof, that is a great question. What? Bad decisions, decisions outside of sport. That is a good question. You must make them every day, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> what about in telly? Anyone ever asked you to say just, something, uh, to deliver a line, and you thought, hang on, that, know, that isn't right, and you've gone along with it, and then I made it totally... Do you, do you know my biggest... What are the, the decisions I made when... And... You know, you, you play cricket, and then you, you start earning a few quid, and then the vultures start circling. Yeah. Oh, we'll get into this investments. Let's invest in this, invest in that. Come on, this is what it's going to do. My worst decision was taking on a financial advisor. Yes, a few years ago, and I, I don't think I can mention his name, but um, yeah, put you into this. Became a, we mentioned it on a previous one. Comes in, he's a mate. He's at your christenings. He's yep. at your wedding. He's at everything. Yep. yep. And he invests in all these things, and the only gain was for him. And then years later, you find out that none of it's worth an absolute penny. It's worth absolutely nothing. You've been ripped off. You've had your pants down. He's had a good day out of it. And then people, for me, need to be named, shamed, and brought in. Funny, I had lunch with my parents yesterday in Reading, and we just suddenly got onto this conversation about independent financial advisors. And I had one who advised me. I was putting more money into my pet. I was putting ridiculous amounts of money into the pet. I couldn't understand why I'd done it, but I was impressionable. I was about 17, just started earning money. He was getting a commission on the amount, I think, that I put in. And it was a stupid decision to make. And it is very easy to get led down the wrong way when you're young and you're earning money. And you I'm, don't not, I'm, not, I'm not saying there aren't good ones out there. No, no, there are, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my best mate, Paddy, he's, he's one, he's brilliant. Yep. And he takes it as if it's his money, but there's so many sharks. Yep. And they Fair. find you, don't they, Rob? Yeah, they do. I've just made a bad decision, according to my wife. I've just, I've just bought a car. Another one? A Mini Cooper. A Mini Cooper. How many cars have you got? No, no just Mini Cooper. Okay. Mini Cooper. Um, um, 
Uh, Ellie Swift. But you can't drive the Ferrari every day, can you? <laughs> well, that's Bentley. You are. You are a bit idiot, yeah. He's an idiot. He's a clown. I haven't got a Ferrari at all. You got a Bentley? No, no. I saw a photo in a magazine. Have Gone, you sold it. Okay. Sold it. Um, I'm cutting back, Matthew. I'm cutting back. Um, Save money for the electricity on back, the lights. Cutting back. I've, so I've bought a Mini Cooper, uh-huh. a Mini Cooper S, um, 2007. Comes this week. Um, cream. Black stripes down the middle. It's got a John Works kit on it. Um, but my wife's saying, why didn't you buy a black one? And she's giving me grief. Uh-huh. So I've gone for the cream one. Um, 50,000 miles. Cream or green? Cream. Cream. Oh. Cream. That's my accent. Cream. 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 Um, how, how long do you think you'll have it? Um, I'm going to keep it because the winter's coming. I thought, what? what? Winter's coming? Where's the Game of Thrones? <laughs> winter's coming. Jon Snow's gone to buy a mini John Cooper S. Winter's coming. Fucking <laughs> hell, winter's coming. It's not winter. I'll tell you what, I'll take, this, I'll take this dragon on in my mini. <laughs> <laughs> the White Walkers, I'll run them over. So I've got a mini for the winter. It's a bad decision, I think. But listen, we'll find out, Matthew, if, if I miss a few of these podcasts, I can't get in. <laughs> so, yeah, I bought a it's mini. It's a lovely car. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. There we go. Not as nice as the Ferrari. Who's <laughs> got a Ferrari? <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can download the podcast for extended versions of all the topics we covered on this week's show at the Five Live website and all the usual podcast places. The whole of the first series is also available to download. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch through the week. Be great if you could leave a review on iTunes and give us a rating. We'll be back at the same time next week. But from now, for all of us, goodbye. Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. Thank you for downloading this Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy podcast. Make sure you subscribe to receive the latest episodes automatically to your device every single week. And if you like this, then why not have a look at what else Five Live has to offer at bbc.co.uk forward slash Five Live. Podcast lovers rejoice. Meet Pocket Cast, your new favorite podcast app for listening, search, and discovery. Our beautifully designed app gives you more control, makes it easier to find and organize podcasts, and offers powerful tools to customize listening. To hear all your favorite shows, download our free app at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores.